Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network and Center Court. It's another week and uh, got a lot more basketball. Ralph, uh, I'm sure, has had fun with all the playoffs and everything and the, the surprises that are. And I tell you what, there is nothing like NBA playoff basketball, I don't think. Uh, the competitive level, the talent, but the cream really rises to the top this time of year. These, these are terrific athletes now. I mean, I, I enjoy the concept of the play-in tournament that the NBA had in effect, right? But mm-hmm. it wasn't the real playoff to me. And, and now you get into the real playoffs. You see Steph Curry coming back and back in stride. You see, you know, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. But the chippiness, Mac, is is what, what I Ooh. like. You somebody run down the court and they just get hit, and all of a sudden everybody raises up and, and want to fight, whatever. So now you know it's the playoffs. It's like that's you're the trying best to thing take, yeah. about the playoffs. Yeah. yeah, it's like you're trying to take my lunch money, right? right? I mean, and it's not a regular season <laughs> game. You're trying to take, you know, <laughs> I, I lose a game and I got to get out. And now, you know, and, it, and like they get bonuses for, for how far they're going deep in the sure. playoffs. So sure. I can get that extra money and I can play a little bit harder. But I, I like to see that in the playoffs. It's, yeah. it's great to watch. Did you have, did you have things, and maybe I'm, I don't want to be too personal here, but did you have extra like additional things like that put into your contract? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, every, every contract had that, depending upon what, what player you are, if you play so many minutes. And then, you know, there's, there's a playoff share mm-hmm. that's split between the team. Now, I was in Golden State one year, and we made the playoffs there, whatever. We had, I remember this guy named John Stark, and they're playing in New York Knicks with yeah. Patrick Ewing. But he was like the 13th man on the 12-man roster, but he <laughs> was there practice every day. So I was the player player captain. Like, do we vote him in a share or not? You know, and <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay. And I like, man, he didn't play any minutes and whatever. But anyway, we ended up voting him a share. But you can invite the secretary. You can invite you can invite anybody at that point in time in a share to play a fool. Yeah, really good. Well, today, a special guest and a guy that um, a lot of people may not know the name, but boy, he has uh, been a big part of uh, the world of golf. He was the LPGA commissioner for a long time. He was an attorney in Cincinnati and, uh, but he's written a couple of books. It's his third book called Arnie and Jack stories of my long friendship with two remarkable men. And Ralph, when you think about the Palmer Nicholas, not only relationship, but rivalry, it, it may be one of the top three or four stories in sports. I mean, you had Ollie Frazier. Okay. As, as a sports rivalry, uh, but but when you think about Arnie and Jack, maybe one of the great sports rivalries in our in our time. Yeah, Mike, we're looking forward to the interview. Uh, the, the age or the vibrance of this, this 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 person that we interview is going to be amazing to listen to and understand. But you're talking about Jack Nichols and Arnold Palmer, the mm-hmm. Arnold Palmer drink. <laughs> uh, that's around the world. So I can't wait for this uh, interview to start. Should be fun. And after all, Charlie is approaching his ninety second. Only All right, Ralph and I come back with the one, the only Charlie Meacham after this center court winter circle network. Stay with us. A bold new experience is coming to Charlottesville. Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson is opening the American tap room. It's an upscale sports bar brought to you by the basketball legend himself. 
Ralph Sampson's American Tap Room has been built in the spirit of competition with everything from burgers and wings to premium steaks and seafood. The Tap Room also features a special Ralph's House IPA made by the Three Knots Brewing Company. With a grand opening just a couple weeks away, now is your chance to join Ralph's team and get in on the ground floor of the American Tap Room launch. Whether you're traveling for the game and looking for that special pregame meal or meeting that important client, Ralph's American Tap Room is in a terrific location in Barracks Road off of Emmett Street. Discover Hall of Fame greatness. Log on to americantaproom.com. They're very different people, but they both have strong values. They both care about what I believe to be the right things, both in golf and in life. They both raised wonderful families, had wonderful marriages, but they're extremely different in uh, their personalities. This is Center Court, presented by the Winner's Circle Network in association with the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome into Center Court and the Winner's Circle Network. Mac McDonald, Ralph Sampson with a very distinguished guest, Ralph. And, you know, when you get a commissioner on board, I, you know, even, even though it wasn't baseball, was it? But he was commissioner of the LPGA. He's uh, just written and published his third book. We're going to get into that. But, but Ralph, this is a guy that has more, more things to say about life and the greatest philosophies you've ever heard. So it's going to be fun. Charlie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with all of you. And I would only say that uh, I'll be 92 in another few months. And if you haven't learned anything in 91 and a half years, you haven't been listening. So I, well, I, either, uh, either you haven't been listening or you just didn't take anything anybody said. So either way it works. Either way it works. Amen. Amen. And in the old line that wisdom is nothing but an accumulation of good and bad experiences. And uh, that's true. You know, that's a great quote. So, yes. So, Mike, I'm curious. So, you know, at 92, I mean, it looks like he's 72 or something like that from the pictures we have. But a lot of wisdom. In my office, I had Wooden on leadership. John Wooden was one of the greatest, and obviously, oh, yeah. uh, coaches uh, in the NCAA. But, and you've seen a lot. You've seen a little bit of that as well in your career. But what has given you the energy and the vibrancy that you have writing three books? What gives you that motivation at, at this age to continue to do that? Well, I guess probably at the heart of it all is I genuinely love people and I love interaction with people. And as I've grown older, I particularly treasure interaction with younger people, which I've had a lot of my pals over the years who have retired. And as I say, almost as though they mummified, uh, <laughs> yeah. they quit doing anything. Mm. And my view is that you need to exercise your body, but probably even more, you need to exercise your mind. And I've been really blessed over the years to have a lot of wonderful friendships and to, uh, to be able to share those friendships and memories of those friendships with others. Uh, has has taken, uh, I think, what could otherwise be sort of a, a drab time into one of the most exciting and fun times of my life. Charlie, you um, before you, and we'll get into the the whole LPGA thing and the commissionership. And you were, you know, you were an attorney in Cincinnati. 
But then you take over a conglomerate like Taft Broadcasting, you know, chairman and CEO. And man, right. there, that is a, a former, you know, Clear Channel, I know, gobbled them up. But, but Taft had some of the biggest and best radio and TV stations in the country. There was no was question that about a, it. Was, was that a difficult position because of the nature of the radio TV business? It was wonderful. Every bit of it was wonderful because we expanded shortly after I became CEO. In those days, you guys may not know or remember, uh, the FCC had a limit on the number of stations you could own. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. And so we had a lot of money being generated from our radio and TV. So I was looking for ways to expand. And our first expansion was buying Hanna-Barbera, the great cartoon yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. Then the next step, sort of stepping from that, I thought, how can we expand the reach of the Hanna-Barbera characters? And we built uh, a theme park, of which Hanna-Barbera was an important part. And we ended up building like five or six theme parks around the world. And then we got more and more into uh, content, uh, because I felt that however many stations you can own, uh, you still got to put something on them. And content was key. So we got into, we bought several different content companies. And so we grew into a, a pretty sizable entertainment company. And it was, a, it was a lot of fun. In fact, I had a friend of mine who was in a very different business, sort of a, a dull uh, machine tool business. And he toured our amusement park, the one that we first built north of Cincinnati. And uh, we toured it one day and had lunch. And he said, now, Charlie, let, let me get this straight. You have radio and television. You own Hanna-Barbera. You built theme parks. Uh, do you get paid for your job? <laughs> well, I probably shouldn't, but yeah, I do. So uh, I've, been, I've been blessed to have a lot of good friends. And I like telling, talking about them. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Hanna Barbera, like the Flintstones, and the, oh, you know the Boogie I mean, Bear, the, the Boogie Bear. I mean, like okay, great. When you're little, you watch the Flintstones and Dennis the Menace in the morning. But it brings me yep. back to my child childhood with Hanna Barbera for sure. So the yep. insight. I mean, you mentioned content, and you can only have so many stations uh, under your under the tap umbrella. Yep. And even today, as this thing has evolved to now being on podcasts and radio shows or whatever yeah. across the world, content is, content is still the king. No matter what happens, content is still the king. So you see that change, but it's, you think today's world content is still that king. It is. And, and there's another application, I think. I tell people that are, that are trying to market um, something. I say, look, don't worry right now about media or how you expose it, be sure your content is good. Uh, because without that, nobody's going to buy it anyway, no matter right. how well you market it. And there's a great story. You guys may have heard this, but if, if not, I think you'll find ways to, to use it. Uh, there's this dog food manufacturer that uh, was not doing very well. And the, the CEO was frustrated and he couldn't figure out what was going on. So he called a meeting of all his salespeople. And he said, guys, I don't get it. We, we've got great packaging. We've got great merchandising. We've got great commercials, but we're not doing very well. What's wrong? A little guy in the back of the room put his hand up and he said, uh, sir, the dogs don't like it. 
<laughs> if the dogs don't like it, forget it. <laughs> which, which is a great, I guess, probably a philosophy then. And Charlie, I'm sure you've trained a lot of CEOs and chairmen and, yeah. and presidents and owners and whatever. That's got to be your lead story at the sales meeting, right? I mean, Ralph, so remember that. Ralph, uh, Ralph just opened a restaurant, Charlie. He, he's ah. in the restaurant business in Charlottesville. Ralph Sampson's American Taproom. And so, no kidding, Ralph, in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. Yes. And, I lived there for about a year in the uh, Judge Avenue General's Corps that yeah. was attached to the UVA Law School. And so we lived in, uh, in Charlottesville, I guess, a year and a half. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Did, did you go to, uh, I don't know what years that would have been, Charlie, but you remember, did you go to any football games or basketball games at that time? Yeah, uh, it was in uh, the late uh, late 50s, I guess. And oh, okay. uh, But I was spoiled uh, growing up in, in Ohio State football territory. Absolutely. Nothing like Ohio State. Yeah. I remember when I, when I went to Yale to law school, Marilyn and my wife and I went to the first game. We said, is this football? <laughs> We've been watching the Buckeyes. Yeah, it was pretty minor. It, uh, UVA didn't go to its first bowl game until 84. So that's, that's right. uh, um, Charlie Meacham is our guest. So Charlie, with that philosophy, then who did you look up to at an early age and you're getting ready to you know, step into the world of, of corporate America and everything. Who, who did you look up to? Who, what lessons or who taught you lessons about leadership and, and managing people? Well, certainly my parents uh, were an, a great influence on me. Mm -hmm. um, then I had a two uh, members of the law firm in Cincinnati that became real mentors of mine mm -hmm. and were enormously helpful to me. And then uh, uh, when I went in the army, oddly enough, I met two or three guys uh, that were really helpful to me. And uh, in fact, it's funny, I didn't go in the army until I'd gotten out of law school. Yeah. And when I went to basic training with these other 17, 18 year old kids, they wouldn't believe I was a lawyer. And I said, yeah, I, I was a lawyer. And they, well, we don't believe it. I said, why don't you believe it? If you were a lawyer, you wouldn't be here. Right, right. <laughs> I said, well, I am. And I showed them my, my bar association membership card and they went bananas. And for the next, I guess, month and a half, I handled more divorces <laughs> and deeds and wills and so on. I ever did since. So uh, a number of people have touched my life. And then as I got to know people in the entertainment business, uh, Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera were great role models. Um, I'll tell you again, a funny story about them. Uh, they had a 50 year partnership and at a big dinner, they were awarded some uh, major award. And, uh, Joe got up and said, you know, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to answer the question of how are you and, and Bill have stayed together 50 years because that's so unusual in the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. And Joe said, uh, Charlie, I'm going to tell a story I never told before. The first week that Bill and I were together, we had a huge fight, and we haven't spoken since. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of good people like that to draw on. The best way to describe it is I've heard each of them say, if I was really in a spot and needed one person 
that I could call and go to, it would be, and then they named the other. Very competitive, be an exhibition or, uh, or a golf course design, whatever it is, they still want to beat the other guy. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back, Center Court Winner's Circle Network. Mac McDonald and Ralph Sampson with really, and I, I'm proud to say the one and only Charlie Meacham because there's only one guy and I've seen him a lot of times on the Golf Channel and in the Orlando area, Ralph. But uh, boy, this guy has done so much. We'll, we'll get into his book. It's his latest book, Arnie and Jack Stories of My Long Friendship with Two Remarkable Men. And I mean, when Ralph was playing basketball, there was Buck Williams and there was Sam Perkins and there was Michael Jordan. And yeah. in the NBA, you know, there were a lot. Ralph, you really didn't have a, a chief rival, though, did you? Everybody wanted to knock you down a peg or two, didn't they? Um, I mean, Virginia Tech was a rival, but in, in the first couple of years to, you know, especially after my freshman year, uh, my sophomore, junior, senior year, there was, I mean, everybody tried to beat us, you know, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And, you know, if you play the teams back then, you played home and away, Maryland away and home. And so you got two shots at them. So it was really, really good. Unlike sometimes today, they only play one game all year yeah. long. But yeah. I mean, the rivalries out there is Carolina and Duke, as you, we see them today. But in golf, I'm sure there's rivalries out there, but you, you're playing against yourself most of the time. And then you're playing against the score. Right. So, you know, he would have to get mainly tough. I mean, I think golf is one of the hardest sports out there. People say, is it really a sport? <laughs> you know, you have to, you, uh, you know? I'd, I'd have a lot of athletes come out to play in a pro-am and they say, you know, I, I've never really understood, is golf really a sport? And I say, talk to me after you've played for three or four holes. <laughs> and and, and walk answer. three or four holes, not, not, not drive the car, you got to walk it. Ralph, uh, when I was in Cincinnati as a young lawyer, I spent a lot of time watching the Cincinnati Bearcats and Oscar Robertson. Oh, yeah. And I always felt that Oscar has sort of been underrated as a great player. I thought he was a fantastic player. Yeah, Uh, to me, he's one of the best guards to ever play in the NBA just because, I mean, he he averaged a triple-double. He was the first one to really create that. He was strong. He wasn't a a knockdown shooter like some guy like Steph Curry today, but he knew where to get the ball to how to get the ball there and knew the game very well. So I always think he's definitely on to read it, but you take somebody like him, uh, Charlie, and you also now take a Tiger Woods that's come back. We just talk, started talking about golf and walking yeah. 18 holes. The, the remarkable comeback that he has your opinion about that. Cause you've seen everything in the golf world. Uh, I, and- uh, I of course applaud his, his performance as I always have. I was a little concerned, frankly, at the end of the fourth day, he, he looked a little tired mm-hmm. and a little old, and he's, he's neither one, really. Mm. But um, I'm hoping that, uh, that he'll be able to continue to play selectively because the game needs, needs Tiger. Charlie, tell us about then the association with Arnold and Jack and how it came about and, of course, turned around. You, know, you, wrote, you wrote the book because you had so many stories. But how did you first meet Arnold and Jack and, and start to work with them? quite different, actually. Uh, I met Jack actually more than 50 years ago when, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we built an amusement park north of Cincinnati. We had some excess land and my my guys persuaded me to build a golf course. Well, that's when Jack was an Ohioan. 
He was top of the world and it was an easy choice to ask Jack to design the course. Mm -hmm. And he did. And then since then we did his golf, my way tape uh, and book. My company did those. And so over the years, we just developed a long and strong friendship. Arnie, I didn't get to know until actually I was LPGA commissioner. And then um, we, we met because he came out and played in a lot of, of events where men and women were playing. And we hit it off right away. We were both from small towns, he in Pennsylvania and I in Ohio. And we just had a lot in common. Um, Arnie is so magnetic, so easy to be around. And he uh, asked me after uh, uh, a final round that I played uh, as LPJ commissioner to have a beer with him. And he, uh, he bought us each a beer. And he said to me, Charlie, uh, I'd like you to come in and run all my companies for me. But we both agreed we wanted to figure something out. So a few months later, we got together and Arnie said, I've got the idea. I want you to, to become my advisor and consultant. That way you still have time to do the other things you have to do. And I said, that sounds really interesting to me. I'd love to do it. He said, there are only two conditions. You and Marilyn, my wife, Marilyn, have to move to Bay Hill. And I want you to share this office with me. He had an office that had... Uh, where he sat, and then there was a, another office next door with a, a door open all the time. So I, we moved to Bay Hill, and I moved into that office, and I did that for, for 10 years. He would sit there and go through the mail, and he'd see something, and he'd throw it through the door, sail it through the door, <laughs> say, what do you think about this? And so we had a, a lot of fun, and, and uh, there's no human being ever lived that was more fun to be around and more charismatic, in my opinion, than Arnold Palmer. What wow. philosophy did he have maybe that you adapted? This is maybe not the best way to put it, but I'll do my best. He was precisely the same human, be human being in public as he was in private. Mm -hmm. And you can't say that about very many people, particularly mm -hmm. celebrities. And, but he was. And I always thought to myself, if I don't learn anything from Arnie, and I learned a lot, but if I don't learn anything else, it's to remember who you are, where you came from, and be the same person publicly that you are privately. That's the biggest learning and one of the most important things I ever took from Arnie. I, we, we've heard some was something similar to that in another interview in the last couple of weeks where the greats of the great, and I know Charlie can understand this for sure because he's seen on a Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Tiger, mm -hmm. seen all the greats in L LPGA. What to that statement there to me is part of what makes a great athlete or a great person, right? Yeah. Is to stay human. But you've seen it across the board. Is that your opinion as well, or is it different? No, I think the, the idea of never forgetting where you came from is. Uh, is lesson number one. And uh, I'm sure some of us have had a more, a stronger maybe friendship uh, in the early days, but remembering your roots is maybe as important a thing as you can learn. Uh, and Arnie never, he had offices in Bay Hill. He had a home uh, here in the desert at, at the Tradition Golf Club. But Latrobe, Pennsylvania was always his home. Yeah. And he never, if anybody ever said, Arnie, 
Where are you from? It was always Latrobe, PA. How about that? So, Charlie, in the book, and I know you probably talk about in the story. So, Jack and Arnie meet where and begin their rivalry. And I'm guessing the rivalry then translated or transitioned into a friendship. Is that correct? Yes. The uh, Not many people know this, but it's in the book. Uh, the first time they met was at a club not far from where I grew up in Ohio, in Athens, Ohio, uh, called uh, uh, Athens Country Club. And Dow Finsterwald, who was also a great PGA Tour player, invited them to play. And that's the first time either of them had seen the other. Wow. And uh, I, I talked to both of them years later, and they both said, we knew right then this was a guy It's going to be a challenger. And then, of course, the early days when Arnie was king of the roost, Jack came on the tour and challenged the king. And for those old enough to remember, those early days were not very nice. They were pretty ugly. The gallery was 99% uh, Arnie's army. The, the, the credit, credit both of them, uh, Arnie never encouraged that, never believed it was right. Jack knew that's the way that Arnie felt. And Jack, uh, for his part, his level of concentration was such, <laughs> I'm not sure he ever even heard it. <laughs> uh, because his concentration, Tiger's probably the only one, I think, that that rivals Jack's uh, concentration level. It's unbelievable. And golf, there's nothing more important than that. Ralph, somebody had to have looked up to you and built this rivalry. Who Would there have been a player that said, I want to be the big guy like Ralph. I want to play like Ralph. And did you look up to Jabbar, for example? And especially you got in the league and you were playing against, you know, Kareem. Well, like the, you know, um, coming up in high school, you, you only had the CBS game of the week that was taped. So you can only see <laughs> one game a week. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the, I thought, remember Willis Reed and the Knicks playing, and it was black and white or color and it was tape delayed, whatever you see that. But uh, as you get to the league or at a high, high level in anything you do, there's going to be competition out there, which, you know, even today I can feel like when I get up, there's competition for me to be successful in anything I do. And ironically, uh, Bill Russell, you know, I met in college, mm -hmm. uh, met Kareem in college. Yeah. And then get the chance to play against Kareem and me and Kareem had the same agent. So the ah. rivalry started then at that <laughs> point. Okay, great. I can remember sitting in Washington, D.C. with Kareem and going to his house and getting one of the three Wooden Awards. Oh, wow. And it was fun to do that. But then we got to play against each other in L.A. <laughs> and then when you hit him one time with the elbow, hey, you know I'm freaking about you. Well, I don't care freak who you are at that point. You know, it's time to get it on. So a lot of people have asked me, when did they really become friends? Because they were dear friends mm -hmm. by the time they uh, Arnie passed away. And I, I thought about that quite a bit. And I think at first, obviously, with Jack uh, coming on and beating Arnie, they they weren't enemies, but I don't know that they were friends because mm -hmm. it was it was tough. It was hard, hard nosed stuff. But I really think maybe when when Jack upset Arnie in the open at uh, at Oakmont, maybe it was a bit of a turning point. And from then on, they were they were really good friends. And I, both of them said to me, um, Jack or Arnie is one of my dearest friends. If I only had a couple of phone calls to make and needed help, 
I'd call. So yeah, it, it was deep. It was uh, really deep. And great the reason stuff. It was deep, it, the reason it was deep, I think, each of them really respected the other. Uh, their their games were quite different. They played golf, I think, for different reasons. Arnie because he loved the game. Jack because he loved the competitiveness of the game, mm-hmm. which is why Arnie never quit playing, and why uh, Jack cut back quite a bit. If there's one story in the book that golf people love, I when I was at Bay Hill with Arnie, about every four or five weeks, I'd go down and see Jack down at uh, North Palm where his office was. One day I said to Arnie, I'm going to down to see Jack. He, well, give him my best. So the next day I said to Jack, hey, Arnie says hello. And how's he doing? I said, he's doing fine. And uh, Jack said, Charlie, does he still play golf every day? <laughs> yeah, he, he does, Jack. Yeah. Jack just sort of shook his head. Yeah, can't keep day, up with that. Can't keep up with day, that. Yeah, I'm back at Bay Hill. Yeah. So Jack says hello. And Arnie says, how's he doing? I said, he's just doing fine. And he said, Charlie, is he playing much golf? And I said, really, not a, not a lot, Arnie. And he looked at me straight away and said, then Charlie, what the hell does he do? All the <laughs> that is that that says it all. The memories are the cushions of life. Each of you sitting here today, or perhaps sitting at home, has at least one wonderful memory of Arnold Palmer to balance out your hurting heart. Remember when Arnold Palmer touched your life, touched your heart, and please don't forget why. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome back, Winter Circle Network and Center Court. Ralph Sampson, Mac McDonald with a great Charlie Meacham. He's got a new book out called Arnie and Jack Stories of My Long Friendship with Two Remarkable Men. And uh, Ralph, I know, you know, when you were headed to the NBA and you had Puma and you, you know, you had to learn the marketing side. Charlie did did Jack learn a lot from Arnold and IMG and everything that, that they were doing for, for Arnold. And as, as Arnold built his brand, did Jack learn a lot from Arnold? I think he watched. I don't know that you could ever say he learned this or that, Mm -hmm. but I know he watched. Uh, Jack took a very different approach though. Mark McCormick, probably the greatest marketing sports in the world. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, sort of led the way and Jack didn't have a Mark McCormick. So he kind of did his own thing. So they were different. Uh, but as the years went by, Jack began to adopt some things that Arnie had done. And they, I think they've worked very well, but Jack uh, and Arnie were, were different in that way. Uh, Arnie was the classic uh, marketing <laughs> athlete. You couldn't ask for a better one. Yeah, Mike, I know. It's, I mean, as I think back, I mean, I think golf even, you know, was, I mean, the 70s, the NBA wasn't quite as powerful as it is today, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And golf probably was a more remarkable sport uh, with, with with Jack and Arnie and everybody that played it because you had thousands of people would go to the golf courses. So right. whoever did the marketing for golf, you know, probably was, and he mentioned Mark McCormick, that name is you know, synonymous with marketing and sports history. Yeah, sure. And they used to market golf even more than, than, um, than basketball. And I think the NBA took some lessons from how do you, yeah, how do you yeah, get a yeah. Mark McCormick or Jack Nicholson on a Palmer 
and make that an NBA player at that point in time. So, and, and Ralph, great, think great of the simple history. thing. Yeah. Good point, Ralph. And, and Charlie and Ralph, think of the simple things too. Arnold launched an umbrella right. <laughs> as a logo, which seems okay. And then of course the ice tea thing got started. And I mean, I know yep. those the are two power, separate yeah. years apart, but, but I can, I can tell you stories about both of those. It might I love it. You. No, yeah. we love it. The umbrella had absolutely no rational beginning. <laughs> were sitting in a sitting in an office in Cleveland one day talking about uh, logos and things like that. It was raining, and Arnie said he looked out the window and saw his umbrella go by. And he says, "Let's use that." <laughs> That's scientific. The other one is uh, the T, uh, and Arnold Palmer, and the story of that. I know this is totally accurate. Because uh, one of his dear friends told me that uh, uh, he he had come into a, a clubhouse restaurant one day after playing golf, and sat down at another couple sitting next door next to the uh, table. Uh, the waitress came to Arnie and said, uh, "What may I get you to drink, sir?" And he said, uh, "I think I'll have a a lemonade and an iced tea." So she went off to get that, and she went to the next table and said to the lady there. Uh, ma'am, what may I get you to drink? And she said, I think I'd like to have what he had. I'll, I'll have an Arnold Palmer. <laughs> that was the beginning oh, wow. Wow. of the drink. No, Mac, that, that, I mean, that's worldwide. I, you go in the yeah. restaurant, I want to, everybody knows what that is. I yeah, mean, exactly. it's kind of crazy. But it, hum, humble beginnings, humble beginnings. Yeah. Charlie Meacham is our guest. He's written a book, Arnie and Jack Stories of My Long Friendship with Two Remarkable Men. Um, I believe, Charlie, correct me if I'm wrong, it was 2016, right, when, when Arnold passed and, yeah, uh, yeah. and when it was time for his funeral and a lot of people, oh, boy, you were there. You were asked to, I guess, kind of hold things together and be the, the lead speaker, at least the first speaker. Uh, what was that day like? I don't know if you can put it into words. It was maybe the most moving couple of hours I had ever been through before or since. Um, the... Uh, the reason I was asked to be sort of a pseudo master of ceremonies is that his widow and his daughter uh, said they wanted the service to be light. They didn't want something teary or maudlin. And they knew that I knew a lot of stories. So that was the essence of my, of my uh, performance mm -hmm. was stories about, about Arnie. Like, for example, I, I told and the, the, of course, the whole church was filled, but they all were good, close friends. Arnie would come in to me about every two weeks. And he wasn't kidding. He said, Charlie, am I going broke? Have I got enough money to keep? <laughs> the audience just erupted. And I said, Arnie, you could come in here at eight o'clock in the morning, start writing big checks all day long. And at the end of the day, you'd still have more money than you started the day. <laughs> and, uh, He'd say that, and then he would kid me about my hair. I still got pretty good bush. I had a lot more then, and he was getting bald. And I said, he said, oh, you need a haircut. And I said, you're just jealous that yeah. you don't. <laughs> so I told a lot of stories like that. Yeah, uh, It got everything off, I think, on a light light start. Yeah, amazing. And I'm sure that had to be amazing. The roster service. that day was a, who, a who's who. Mm -hmm. And you can look, at, look that up, but... Uh, uh, Tim Fincham, and of course, Nicholas gave a marvelous talk. Um, Sam Saunders, his grandson, Jim Nance. It was a, a star-studded cast. Mm -hmm. mm. 
Charlie, so if there was one story between the two and maybe your favorite that is in the book, what would that be? They got married in Hawaii when Arnie was playing at an event over there. And Kit, his wife, located a little justice of the peace, little Japanese lady, way out in the wilds of, of Hawaii. And so they went out and, and uh, to get married by this little lady. And so Kit says on the way out, she said to Arnie, now, Arnie, we're in the middle of nowhere. This little lady's a Japanese lady. She won't know who you are. Don't be offended if she doesn't know who you are. So Arnie said, oh, don't worry about it. So they, uh, they uh, get married and the little Japanese lady does her job. And as they're walking out the door, the little Japanese lady says, ma'am, do you know how lucky you are? <laughs> of course, Arnie went crazy over that one. He, they know who I am. That's another good story. Uh, there's, there's so many just funny stories that 90, 90% of these stories are, are, are fun stories. I think we could talk to you for hours. And yeah. the fact that you're approaching 92 and you're not retired, not even thinking about retirement. Yeah. And uh, uh, do you have an idea now for a fourth book? What I might do, I'm, I'm being encouraged to do this is to do an audio version of uh, my, my new book. Oh, okay. Right. It would be the kind of book that probably would lend itself mm -hmm. uh, to an audio version. Um, the other thing is my, my longtime assistant, uh, who's in her 80s, I guess, said, uh, Mr. Meacham, I'll do anything, but please don't do another book. <laughs> <laughs> the way I do a book, I dictate to her. Oh, sure. And then she would transcribe it, send it back to me. I would edit it, send it back to her, which uh, was a, a, a lot of work for her. But the one thing that interested me, I can't tell you how many people have said, I like your books because it sounds like you're talking to me. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, in, in, a, in, in a real sense, I was because I was dictating the stories. We've loved, we've loved this time with you. We wish all the best with the book. We'll plug it like crazy. And uh, uh, we just can't thank you enough. Uh, again, yeah, the stories thank are terrific. So and we just wish you all, all the best and happy health. Again, if you, it, you, you know, guys are real pros. I well, don't, I've done millions of interviews over the years. None better than this. I appreciate Great. that. Thank and you if, so much. If baseball calls and they're replacing Manfred, will you please consider it? That's all <laughs> I've got. I always said you couldn't talk me into being NFL or uh, actually I was at, this is totally off the record. I, uh -huh. I was interviewed for both baseball and football, but I said in the interviews, I want no part of that. Oh, how about that? That's good. LPJ is perfect for me. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't denigrating those other jobs. Oh, that's terrific. So I mean, different. That's and good. I had a chance to take a tour and turn it around. And that was something that was very special. I love it. Right. Charlie love Meacham, it. thank you. We appreciate it so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank and you, Vanessa. Girls, more of Center Court and Winter Circle Network when Ralph and I come back. A bold new experience is coming to Charlottesville. Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson is opening the American Tap Room. It's an upscale sports bar brought to you by the basketball legend himself. Ralph Sampson's American Tap Room has been built in the spirit of competition with everything from burgers and wings to premium steaks and seafood. 
The tap room also features a special Ralph's House IPA made by the Three Knots Brewing Company. With the grand opening just a couple weeks away, now is your chance to join Ralph's team and get in on the ground floor of the American Tap Room launch. Whether you're traveling for the game and looking for that special pregame meal or meeting that important client, Ralph's American Tap Room is in a terrific location in Barracks Road off of Emmett Street. Discover Hall of Fame greatness. Log on to americantaproom.com. Things have come my way without any uh, great warning necessarily and certainly without any effort on my part to make them happen. The LPGA was looking for a commissioner at, at just at that exact time. They then came to me, and after that, uh, Arnie was at a point where he was interested in, uh, in having somebody work with him, and I happened to be available at that point. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back, Winter Circle Network and Center Court. And uh, again, Ralph, the book is uh, Arnie and Jack, Stories of My Long Friendship with Two Remarkable Men. Uh, Charlie Meacham is the author. And you can, by the way, USGA, uh, the United States Golf Association, is marketing the book as well as Amazon. So you can find it on Amazon and probably soon available in audio, as Charlie was talking about during the interview. But man, that's a guy, you know, when you think, Ralph, we've done well over a hundred interviews now, you know, the Grishams of the world, Cedric Maxwell. And these are interviews that you want to talk to people for days, not hours, not even minutes, but Charlie Meacham is a guy that I could spend an afternoon with for sure. Like there's a lot of history with Charlie Meacham, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot that he, we could go back to mem- and remember, and he can say it like it was yesterday happening. Jack Nichols and Palmer on a Palmer in a restaurant hanging out just by chance and going to have dinner to, you know, something that happened on the golf course to Mac, a commissioner of the W the LPGA and potentially could have been commissioner of any sports league that he wanted to be. If he wanted it, you, you can't buy that uh, type of interview uh, with anybody because most people at 90 are not on this earth. No. Right. And he is a amazing guy and still vibrant and still just, I mean, you know, I, I learned one thing at the interview. I'm not going to ever retire. <laughs> I'm not going to ever retire. So it's good. You know, I've said that a lot when, when like Brent Musburger is doing play by play for the Raiders, he's over 80. Uh, Don Rickles worked till he was 90. Uh, Nick Saban, those guys are coaching, you know, they're going to coach well into their set route. I, I agree. I'm not sure I would know what to do if I was retired. Now that's just make retirements for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people love retirement and want to kick back and travel. And I get that. God bless them. But I just don't know if I could retire. I'm not ready to, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it'd be hard to have that work ethic. I mean, my mom is 83, just turned 83. And she's not, reti- she's retired from work, but she's not retired from just doing stuff. <laughs> from working, right? <laughs> yeah. From, from working behind the desk, doing accounting stuff. But she's, Correct. she's cut grads. She does home improvement projects. She's all over the place. We can't slow it down, which I don't want to slow it down. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and so hopefully I still have, I have that type of blood in me. My dad worked till he was 80. So, uh, he, he's slowed down somewhat, but he's still doing okay. But uh, I want to make sure that I, I, I keep that vitality in me as I continue to get older. But uh, after this interview, I definitely will not, will not say it again, retire. 
Yeah, I think, uh, and I think it's probably time that we sit down and talk about a book too. Just, I'm just saying because well, that's like I, the second or third <laughs> off that we had had on this thing. We had Grisham to, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, although, Eggers. Yeah, we had Carrie yeah, Eggers, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, who just completed the Jerome Kersey book, and now uh, Charlie Meacham. Uh, I had the Lynn Byers guy with that book, and that, oh, that forgot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's been fun. These are fascinating people. Well, anyway, I hope you have a good week. Enjoy the NBA basketball, and uh, we'll do it again next week, God willing. You and I, uh, since we're not retired, we might as well do another. We might as well do another show next week. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald, and that's Center Court. Have a great week. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.